You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We are not coming to you from the train track enclosed nerve center like we normally do. We're coming to you from my home and the council members. Never expected to have to say that. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the council. You may also know me as the council's voice on social media at Council of DC. Listeners, this is a special round of hearing the council interviews, one we never expected to have to do and hope we'll never have to repeat in the future. This is a special COVID edition of Hearing the Council. Uh, Let me introduce our uh, kind guest today, at-large council member, David Grasso. Thanks for joining us, council member. Thanks for having me, Josh. It's, uh, like you said, a little uh, out of the ordinary uh, to be doing our interview in this way, but um, at least I didn't have to drive halfway across town to meet you this time, and so I'm happy to do it right here from my home today. That, that is that is true. We, it's early to think of this, but there are things that we're doing during the quarantine that we're going to keep doing after the quarantine because we learned, hey, why couldn't we do that before? Um, well, coming so, up on Earth, you know, the less driving we do, the better, right? Save the Earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I know uh, right now you're in the midst of an education uh, listening tour. Your committee is uh, trying to get a sense of how things are going, how at home schooling is going, how meal and grocery availability in public school buildings is going. Uh, I know it's early, but um, can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe what you're hearing? Uh, absolutely. So essentially what this is, is a virtual roundtable. We're trying to gather as much information from the public on how they feel distance learning is going. So whether it be the teachers, the administrators, or parents and students, uh, we want to know how it's going in your home. You know, many parents, as we know, have chosen in life not to do homeschooling of students, but here they are having to do that in this very unusual circumstance. So What we've done is we've tried to be as inclusive as possible. So rather than just do an online roundtable type meeting, we have given as many different ways for people to engage as we could come up with. So we can have people send in comments on email to my team at Ashley Strange's email, astrange at dccouncil.us. People can weigh in on Twitter and they just need to use the hashtag and it's hashtag dchomeedu. Um, they can call a phone number that we specially set up to give comments. Uh, you can only leave a three-minute comment, but you can also do a text message to the same number, and it'll be preserved in our documents. So that number is 202-709-8035. Um, the idea here, Josh, is that we want to hear from the public on how it's going so we can do the oversight that I have been elected to do here in the District of Columbia as a chair of the Committee on Education. We've gotten a lot of comments already. What the plan is is to then compile these into a public report, make sure that DCPS and the charter LEAs have all this information, and then can help improve how we're delivering services, whether, like you said, it's meals or distance learning or computer access or 
just kind of emotional issues around social emotional learning, uh, things of that nature. So it's, it's a challenge, but um, I felt it was important to continue the work we've done at the council with engagement in spite of the fact that we are not actually able to hold a official public roundtable at this time. Right. I mean, it seems like in so many ways the uh, the quarantine and the pandemic are um, reinforcing or or uh, extending pre-existing societal conditions, things that were always this way, but we've never been forced to see them as starkly as we are now. So like the digital divide uh, is a, a key example. The, the disproportionate health impacts on African-Americans is an example. Um, you know, sick leave, things like that. These are things that were previously problems, but now it's being held right up to our face and we're forced to acknowledge it and try to solve it in the, at the worst possible time. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you, you know, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think what this, this pandemic has done is exaggerate, really lay open all of the issues that we know are in society that we have not been able to move forward as quickly as we wanted to. And so uh, around racial disparities and the issues with the academic achievement gap, the, the reality that um, the, the last mile with internet access, right? I mean, here's a good example. Uh, we said we're going to do distance learning in the District of Columbia, so everyone's going to have to have a laptop or some kind of device to do their learning at home. And that quickly exposed the reality that just giving someone a computer is not going to solve the problem. There are many homes in the district that still don't have reliable, high-quality access to the internet. And so that was another problem we had to try to solve for. Um, the other thing that I think we didn't I guess people just didn't think they could tackle yet, but now we have to, is the reality that there's maybe two or three children in the home. And all three of those children need to have access to a laptop, need to have good broadband internet access that if they don't, they can't do their work. Uh, another area that's a big disparity that worries me on a daily basis, when a one family for good fortune or whatever has two parents that are college educated in the home, are much more are in a much better position to work with their students, perhaps because of their background in their education. Whereas parents that don't have that benefit of a college education, who have been doing hard work all their lives but don't have a higher level education, are going to be asked to do the same kind of instruction for their students, but they're not going to have the same tools available to them, and that's going to widen the gap. And so, I have asked the chancellor, I have asked the public charter school board to take this on as a challenge and an opportunity to help bridge the gap as we move forward. So right now we're doing what I would call triage. We're making sure, for example, that there are hotspots all over the city that go into homes where they have the most need. We're making sure then that they have the laptops or the other devices that they need to do their work. But how about we double down in the summer or in the fall or moving forward by making sure that we take a racial equity approach and we get into the communities where we've most often left them behind and give them the opportunity to stand up and say what it is that they need from us so that they can continue to engage with their students and with their, their children to get the highest quality education possible. Uh, too often we have imposed our beliefs onto the communities that are most impacted by racism and poverty and violence as opposed to listening 
and taking a step back and saying, what can we do to help you achieve the goals that you have and get the greatest, really the greatest educational opportunity out there? Yeah, I mean, the um, it's interesting. That I feel like with the cell phones becoming so prominent, the digital divides dropped a little bit from the conversation because folks that didn't have computers did have cell phones and you can do so much with cell phones. But because of uh, internet access and also some programs only functioning on computers, particularly the distance learning stuff, uh, it, it's definitely surged back into the conversation. Well, and also, Josh, don't forget, the people are losing their jobs on, on a daily basis. The unemployment rate is skyrocketing. People can't afford to pay for that $100 plus cell phone bill anymore. People are having to choose between paying for food or electricity, water, rent, over top of what might be necessary for their learning opportunities. That's why it's important for the government to step in. That's why it's important for us to have a safety net that is robust, one that can actually catch people in it who you didn't imagine might fall into that because then maybe they had a steady job, but that steady job fell through. And so now they have to make these very difficult choices. So that's why I'm very impressed with DCPS. I'm impressed with the charter schools because they have spent the time and effort and money to invest in devices for all of the students that need those devices. It has been a slow but steady progress in getting these devices into homes where it's needed. And there needs to be more work done because if you don't have a phone, how do you even contact the home? How do you contact the family? And so this is a very, very difficult uh, challenge, but I believe that our agencies are stepping up to the plate as best they can. Whatever happened, and this is a vague memory of mine, wasn't there a plan to bring fiber and DC supported internet to the whole city? What, whatever came of that? Uh, that's the DC CAN, which is the community access network that was supposed to go off of our mainframe. We have a very, very strong internet backbone in the city for Octo, for all of our emergency services. It goes into our schools, it goes into our libraries. Uh, and there was extensive conversations over the years about how do we bridge that last mile, that last gap is what it's called, the mile that includes people that can't afford to pay for it, includes people that can't figure out how to get it into their homes um, and, you know, that is something that continues to languish, unfortunately. Uh, we have it in all the libraries. You know, the number one library that we, we know, the number one use for youth in libraries for devices, uh, for internet access, is in Congress Heights. <laughs> so this is something that I think we have an obligation to follow through on. I was personally very frustrated when we did this pilot where we had, uh, you might remember, it was in the Golden Triangle, they put up streetlights that were also wired for Wi-Fi and basically expanding the internet access there. I never understood and I never will as long as I live understand why we did that in the Golden Triangle in the downtown business district instead of doing it on Alabama Avenue or Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue or up Good Hope Road where we know that there's a lack of internet access and you can't get broadband into communities where they can't afford it. So why didn't we extend free access on our DK, DC CAN uh, program to the communities that need it the most. We still struggle with that. These hotspots though, that we've gone out and purchased with the help of philanthropy, you know, the education fund has stepped up and really helped with this effort. 
There's over 10,000 of these hotspots going out now to the communities that need them. That's only good for three months. And so this is 90 days of unlimited data in your home. What's going to happen when that three months you know, ends up ending? Are people going to be able to afford it after that? Are they going to want to pay for that as opposed to paying for food and housing and other things that are so important? I don't know. It's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that in the council's first emergency response bill, we said you can't cut off utilities uh, during a crisis. And then even we had to come back in our second bill and say, oh, by utilities, we don't just mean the traditional brick and mortar electric water gas. We also mean telecom. This telecom now is a utility and is as essential to life as those others. Well, in fact, Josh, you know, the Comcast folks have done internet essentials for a long time. I wish it was more broadly applied across the city. Um, the, the fact is, though, at some point in this city and in this country, we're going to have to be honest with the reality that the access to the internet and the information on the internet is just as important as access to electricity or access to running water in our city. And um, this is a huge shift. It's going to be something that capitalism is not going to support, but something that I think we all have to begin to understand is imperative. I mean, you have to wonder if there's going to be a, a sort of a Carnegie for our generation. You know, Carnegie built all these grand libraries that were open to everyone because knowledge is a resource that everyone deserves. Right. You have to wonder if someone, you know, hopefully the government would do it, but if not, uh, some kind of philanthropists would come forward and be like a digital Carnegie and get internet to everyone who needs it. I think the time is right. It's clear uh, just uh, from a symbolic perspective to see the Carnegie Library now an Apple store here in the District of Columbia. The two worlds have now mixed enough that maybe it's time for that to happen. Uh, but it's going to take a, uh, you know, a, a really big effort to do it because it's not going to be cheap. Uh, this is expensive stuff. And in the end, uh, it's, it's imperative and necessary. Um, as a government resource, I would think we could do something to help with it because we have such a strong network here in DC. But um, personally, I would rather first see us do uh, uh, affordable housing and housing as a human right here in the District of Columbia first. And that, as a basic need, you have a roof over your head that you can count on that is stable first and foremost, and then we move out from there. Right. So outside of uh, education and uh, digital divide, what are you hearing uh, from constituents in terms of impacts of COVID? Well, you know, the, the COVID-19 uh, like you said, has just exposed a lot of the wounds that we already have in our community, a lot of the divisions already in our community. Uh, you can see the impact that uh, our relationship with the federal government has had on D.C. generally, uh, with the failure of them to recognize us as federal taxpaying citizens who deserve to have the same support as any other state. But you can also see the challenges that we have in trying to support all of our residents including our undocumented residents, including our alternatively employed residents, people that don't live in the documented market, um, what I refer to as the known market, the underground market that is so vital to so many people making ends meet in the city, um, has essentially just gone away. And yet we're not able to support these folks if they're not uh, paying taxes in the past or have the, the citizenship or the permanent residency uh, that many of us do. 
And so I worry about this. I think it's something, it's amazing to me that, I guess I'll just say that in the last legislative session last week, you heard unanimous support for undocumented support for undocumented people, and yet we couldn't do anything about it. And um, that was, I think, frustrating for me, for my colleagues, for our residents. Uh, in the end, uh, Events DC, to their credit, has stepped up to create a fund to support the undocumented community. Uh, in the long run, though, we're going to have to look at our economy, look at who we are as a city, and try to understand the role that these people play in our city. You know, they're in the restaurants, they're doing landscaping, they're doing daycare, they're doing things that are vital to our survival in this city, but yet we treat them like they're not even one of us half the time. And that has to end. We need to give a clear path for these folks to be legit, open, above board members of our community from an economic perspective. And um, that's something that I think has been laid bare by the COVID-19. Uh, the other challenges include just trying to stay in touch with people. It's very hard. You know, we used to take meeting after meeting after meeting in my office. And I have tried to continue that tradition online or on phones, but I think people are still grappling with just everyday existence and that makes it hard for them to figure out how to engage with their elected official in a meaningful way and trying to get people to continue to engage is really, really important to the work that we do. Uh, we're gonna have a $600 million cut to our budget that we're gonna have to do in the next six months or so. Um, we need the public to engage, you know, this is important. Uh, whether it be the business community, the philanthropy community, everyday individuals, our workers, our restaurants, everyone needs to engage because the District of Columbia government is going to have to make some very difficult decisions. And I remember the days when we were struggling to rebuild our community. I was a staff member on the council at the time, and there were lists that we would have to go through of what program do you want to cut? And so the mayor would make the decision that the mayor made for whatever their reasons were. And then the council would have to pass a budget that was balanced that also had our priorities built into it. We're going to have to do something very similar. Uh, so we need to hear from people to stand up for what they believe in. Uh, I know what I'm going to fight for, but I think it's important for me to keep an open mind because it's a tough balancing act. you got to support the business community while at the same time you have to make sure that our safety net doesn't have more holes in it. And that is a challenge that I think we all are up for. And the District of Columbia, fortunately, is, a better, is in a better financial situation than any other jurisdiction in the country. But that doesn't mean that it won't be hard to do. Yeah, one, <clears throat> you touched on a couple of things I was wanting to get to. In terms of the support for the undocumented workers, one aspect that um, I didn't hear, <clears throat> excuse me, um, discussed publicly, but has to play into the discussion is, as we're saying, you know, your eyes are opened and, and you see things uh, in a new, more intense way during COVID. I find it hard to believe that if we finally recognize the importance of undocumented workers and provided them with aid, that when this ended, it would be very difficult to walk that back. So I think there's a little bit of, given the budget tightness that you're talking about, realizing that any decisions we make, we need to be pretty certain about because we can and should honor them into the future. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, that's absolutely right. And But I also think we can do that and that we have shown an ability to support every resident in the district 
in the past. So it's not a huge jump here. It's not a huge leap for us to say, let's continue to do this. Uh, it may look a little differently. It may take on a, a different tone, but the fact is that we've done this before with the Healthcare Alliance, with other programs where we made sure every resident was included. Uh, and the mayor's done it before with her work on trying to provide legal support for the undocumented community. This is important that we continue to do, but it's nothing new for the District of Columbia. Um, there are a lot of services out there for folks now, and I don't want people to to, to kind of go through this uh, program without hearing about them. And the best place to read about those are on the mayor's website, but also at davidgrasso.org. We have put an entire page forward to work on just understanding what services are out there for the undocumented community, for the unbanked community, for those people that could not apply for unemployment insurance. And um, we want them to know that we're looking out for them as well. Um, now, you, as you said, when you were uh, a staff member with um, Councilmember Ambrose, that was sort of during the harder times when cuts were being made. Do you have a sense of, uh, you know, we've had the good, we, we, the council has had the good fortune of being able to be all things to all people and be deeply progressive and to, to go pretty far down the wish list of like, we really wish we could do this and we could, that at least temporarily is coming to an end, but how, how, how to an end is that coming? I mean, are we talking about libraries being closed today week? Are we talking about no new bike lanes for a year? I mean, I, or is this going to be mildly uncomfortable, but you, it doesn't compare to past bad times in your sense. Um, you know, Josh, that's, I think the, you know, the, the number one question on people's minds is, is what is going to be the impact on our city and our economy and on the future of what we can offer as a city to our residents. And I can't pretend to sit here and know the answer to that. I don't know when this is going to end. We don't know if it's going to continue I've heard some estimates that it'll continue all the way until 2022, once they get a vaccine and everyone is safe to go out again. I've heard other estimates to say that it could be uh, lightened, you know, like we could loosen some of the restrictions over the summers, uh, but that we have to be careful again in the fall and the winter. You know, this is just such a moving target still. Um, and unfortunately, where it goes is going to determine what we can do in the future. I will note, though, that I believe that we have done a very good job in the District of Columbia trying our best to put plans and programs in place to support our residents moving forward. The Universal Paid Leave Act is not going to go away. We're going to be able to implement that. That will include, you know, the time for you to spend with your newborn or your adopted child, the time for you to spend with a sick parent or a family member for six weeks, you'll be able to care for them and get paid and also self-care for two weeks, which is an important part of the law. So I think we're going to have to look at it very closely. We're going to have to look for alternative revenue enhancements that we can do. Um, we did some of this back in the day when we were trying to figure out how to avoid cutting programs. Uh, but we're going to also have to look at programs that are superfluous to the well-being of our residents that are a little extra and maybe cut back on those a little bit. And there's no list yet. I know that when I'm looking at this, I'm going to take a very strong human rights approach to this. 
that is something that I believe in and something that I've always taken into account. So I'm going to fight for strong mental health services, human services that are not cut. And of course, I believe the key to the future of our city and our country is a quality education for all of our students, which means that we have to continue to support our schools at the highest level possible. And that means including mental health services, trauma-informed services, getting these students the wraparound services they need in order to be successful in school. And I think that is imperative. So where does the line get drawn? I don't know yet. I do know, though, that we can do both. We can uh, save our businesses and our jobs and also continue to provide a strong community-based services approach that gives everybody what they need uh, into the future. Part of that is because we've been smart and we've been fiscally prudent with our money. Our pension funds are fully funded. We have 60 plus days of cash on hand. We have a very strong bond rating. This is why we do all the rainy day funds so that when we're in this tight situation now, it doesn't have as big an impact on the people that we try to support our city into the future. Yeah, it's still just scary when you think it's a $2.2 billion budget the year's half over, so divide 2.2 and half is 1.1. The 607 million we need to cut is almost half of that half a year budget. I realize there's other sources of money, you know, money from Congress and rainy day fund, but that's a quarter of the budget. That, a lot of money, a lot of money. Um, so let's transition quickly. How are you uh, personally dealing with quarantine and a big change in how your job works and home life and everything else? You know, I am, uh, I'm rolling with the punches just like everybody else, right? This is uh, the big secret. Council members are just people too. And we're dealing with all of the things that come at us around this. So trying very hard to stay at home, trying very hard to keep doing social distancing when we have to go out, listening to the Department of Health and the mayor and doing what they ask of us because that is, I think, very important. The other thing we're doing is we're continuing to support the people that we know in the service industry that we can support. So um, there's a person that's been cutting my hair for a number of years. I still send him a check every so often to help support him. I also have a few people I know in the restaurant industry that are on virtual tip jars and I support them and give them some money every so often. Our dog walker continues to get paid on a monthly basis from us because we believe that he needs that support. The other thing that I think it's important to note, I think it's all of us should top, stop and reflect a little bit on our own personal fortune. You know, the reality is that my wife, Sarah and I are very lucky. We have a beautiful home in a wonderful neighborhood. We have two wonderful dogs to keep us company all the time. We have a strong family network that is healthy and that is able to support one another. We have a strong friends network that also continues to Zoom call and do texts and you know stay in touch with one another. That's not true for everybody, Josh. And not everybody is as lucky as those of us who have some privilege and people who have lost their job who are struggling to pay their rent are the people that I think about every single day or people that are in a violent situation in their home. Maybe their home is not a great place to be. Maybe going to work was their escape for that eight or nine hours a day from something that wasn't so great. And I worry about people being impacted by domestic violence, impacted by the struggles that they have every day in their own community, uh, the overcrowding in their housing or the issues that they face. And so I'm lucky, I really believe that. And I think that it's imperative 
that as I make policy decisions moving forward, that I remember those who are not as fortunate as me and that I meet with them and listen to them and engage with them the most and the foremost. And so that I can get from them what is best for me to do to help them. Um, that is why we will continue to have virtual roundtables. We will continue to have an open door policy in spite of not being in my office, but you can email me, you can call me, you can go to my website and get information if you need it. Um, Cause I believe that it's really the, the judge of our society is not gonna be how well we handle this right now. It's gonna be how well people in the future perceive that we handled this. And that we ought to stand up to the challenge and make sure people don't fall through the cracks, make sure that our safety net is strong and that where it's not strong, we have to mend those holes and we have to move our city in a direction that supports all of its residents into the future. Um, now in one second, I'm gonna be looking down because I'm gonna be checking my phone to see if any questions have come in on Facebook. So don't take that uh, listeners or council member as a disrespect, um, just trying to multitask. But one question I do have is that I, I know you are, are stepping away from the council um, and I didn't know that was a decision made before and, and for circumstances that, that are, are complex um, and powerful. But how is dealing with this crisis, how, how, how is that making you feel about your decision to step away? Is that making it harder? Is that reconciling it, that, it, that this is so all-consuming, never more all-consuming? It's a good question, Josh, and something I've reflected on quite a bit. I made this decision for a lot of reasons, as you know, and the fact of the matter is when I made the decision, one thing that I factored in was whether or not I thought that there were other people out there that could do the job better than me. And I think it is clear to me that there are other people in this city that can step up to the plate and do the job better than I can do it, even though I know that I've done the best job that I can and continue to fight hard for DC residents every single day. I think it's only when you believe that you are the best person for the job and that no one else can do it better than you is when you begin to take missteps. And I certainly don't believe that. Do I regret saying that I'm not gonna run again? No, I don't. I believe the city will be in good hands. I trust that people will step up to run and, and they have. Um, you know, I have my hopes that one particular candidate will get elected. And I hope that she does, but I, whoever gets elected, I'm sure will take the best interest of the city and that um, you know, that is important to me. Uh, I'm gonna do my job though until the end of this year with the same passion and gusto that I've tried to do it throughout my entire time on the council. And if nothing else, this particular crisis that we're in has helped me focus harder on the needs of our residents every single day as we go through this budget process. Um, and it is important for us to remember that even though we're making cuts, we still have an obligation to support those who need us the most, those people who have been most often left behind. Absolutely. I, I, I've never seen a stronger argument for enlarging our uh, state legislature than some of the elections that are going on, that there are multiple candidates that for all different reasons, I think would be amazing. Um, and it just seems like a tragedy that no matter who wins, uh, if it's our candidate or someone else's, there's a bunch of great people that I would love to have representing me. And the fact that we have such a teeny number, uh, David Catania had said years ago that Vermont, you know, similar population to us, I think has 2,000 elected officials, if you include the state legislatures and the town councils and governors and mayors and, and all that. Um, 
and well, think. You know, I did introduce legislation on this, Josh. You know, last yeah. year I introduced legislation to expand the legislature, and I still firmly believe that's the best thing we can do. If we had nine wards and we had three people from each ward in the delegate side, in the House side, and then nine people in the Senate side, we could do a bicameral body, and that would give us that many more people to represent the people of the District of Columbia. And I believe that there are talented, smart, ethical, engaged residents who could step up to the plate and represent us all in a very worthy manner. Yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches, the, the candidates that are out there now. Yep. Um, I checked and we didn't have any questions from Facebook on anything we didn't talk about. So two quick, silly closeout questions as we always do. One is the, what is the strangest thing you've had to eat uh, at home since you've been quarantined? The thing you dug out of the back of the cabinet or or uh, maybe just something you love to turn to uh, when you're homebound? You know, Josh, I got invited by a good friend of mine to be on a Facebook group of called What's for Dinner. And it is amazing to just see the things that people are cooking at home now. And uh, it's fun for me to post things. I uh, Just the other day, I did a nine-hour brisket on my smoker in the backyard. It was one of the most relaxing days of my life, but it was really fun. And the brisket turned out delicious, uh, a bit spicy, which I like, but absolutely delicious. I made a homemade barbecue sauce to go with it. Um, and so Sarah and I have been eating that leftover for a couple of days. We brought some to her mom and dad. Um, but that was probably the highlight for me of so far cooking at home. You know, I love to cook. I've done it all my life. And this is an opportunity to put fancy meals on for lunch and for dinner. And um, we're just very, very, very lucky that we have the space to do it and the money to go out and get the groceries that we need in order to cook the way we do. Well, once we're, once we're back at the Wilson building, uh, I think you're on the hook for the next counts for breakfast. I want some of that brisket. <laughs> all right, I'll bring you some. Excellent. And one more question is, is there a song that you've had on repeat uh, while you've been cooped up? No. Or usual, usual favorites? Well, you know, I'm, as you know, I've, I've been a big fan of the Grateful Dead for a long time. And um, the, the fact is, is that um, there are lots and lots of songs that I love from them, uh, but none of them have popped out for this particular time period. Um, we are listening mostly to Pandora in the background, you know, and we put it on Talking Heads or Jerry Garcia or something like that, Cassandra Wilson, and it's always there, which is nice, and it, I think it comforts us. The thing that I have done that uh, is new for me, I have done um, a 10-minute meditation every morning with my wife on Headspace, um, and we just finished our 20th session this morning. Um, it's only 10 minutes out of your time, and it really makes a difference in setting the tone for the day. Um, we also are doing the seven-minute workout, which is something that she's done as she traveled in the past, and now she's got me doing push-ups and sit-ups and all this stuff. And frankly, it, it's great. I love the way it makes me feel, and uh, it's a great way to start the day. Yeah, it's, it's the worst reason to do it, but I mean, there's a lot of things that we're learning from doing this that, that hopefully we will be able to carry over the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff. That's right, Josh. Absolutely. So. Well, as always, I'm grateful to you for uh, spending the time, uh, particularly in this odd circumstance. Um, new listeners, uh, because I'm thinking on Facebook, we might have some folks that aren't normally on the radio or the podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, uh, listeners and viewers, for joining us. 
Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. And uh, I'm Josh Gibson, and this is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. Thank you, council member. Thanks, Josh. It's always great to be with you. Take care. Be safe. Be healthy. You too.